The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and wonderful to be back with you again for uh, yet another week. And today we're going to talk about the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments with my guest, uh, Jeff B. Cohen. And before we talk to Jeff, I want to say a really big thank you to uh, Neil Dorwood, who was my guest last week. And we chatted about legacy and a surprisingly uplifting show, considering Neil had hosted over two and a half thousand funerals. Um, but some really interesting and thought provoking thoughts there on leading a really great uh, life. Um, also, I want to say a big thank you to the Association of Public Service Excellence. Um, I spoke yesterday at their conference on engagement. And it was great to meet some new people down there in South Wales and check out what was a really exciting event. So now, um, from um, talking about engagement yesterday to a, a really engaging guest today, um, I'm really, really delighted and excited to be uh, chatting with uh, Jeff B. Cohen. Chris and, Cooper. Hi, how are you? You are the man, and I am happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Well, I'm going to tell a little bit more about you now. Um, before we uh, we chat, but wonderful to chat with you over there in Hollywood. Um, just um, to give a little introduction to to Jeff, and obviously he's here on the line, which is just brilliant. Um, he, Jeff is one of ent- the entertainment industry's most beloved success stories. Um, he's a prominent transactional attorney, and uh, he's a former child actor, and he's best known for playing the role of Chunk in the Richard Donner, Steven Spielberg film The Goonies, which is just become one of my children's favorite films. Um, he's co-founder of Beverly Hills-based uh, Cohen Garden LLP. He's been named by Variety to its Dealmakers Impact List, and he's profiled by The Hollywood Reporter, The ABA Journal, Chambers Associate, Law Crossing, and others. He's a distinguished lecturer and active writer. He's authored numerous articles discussing business, technology, entertainment matters for CNBC, Huffington Post, Backstage, and others. And he's proud to serve on corporate boards in the non-profit and profit arenas. And today, I'm delighted. I'm holding his book up at the moment. It looks fantastic. Um, it's called The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, Ten Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood. Um, it's developed in Hollywood, but as Jeff will tell us, the principles are vital for any business environment. So, Jeff, it's brilliant to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It's a real pleasure. And I'm glad your kids like Goonies. That's awesome. How they do. And, do you know, um, it was a film I didn't know myself too well. And then I, I mentioned it. I mentioned you to uh, two or three of my friends. And they all said, hey, that's my favorite childhood film. And uh, I still watch it. So we, we bought it. And it's great. Well, it's funny. My character's name is Chunk. Uh, but I like the way you say it much better. With your accent, it sounds much nicer. It's Chunk. It's kind of like I was Chunk. It sounds, see, that sounds elegant. You know, chunk, very kind of callous, 
very kind of on the nose, but like if I was like, oh, when I was a kid, I played the role of Chunk. It sounds it sounds lovelier. So moving forward <laughs> in the states, I'm <laughs> I'm saying that I played Chunk, and I don't care what anyone says. That's what I'm sticking with that now. So thank you for that. <laughs> Merely for that, this was worth it. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. If I, if I use my northern accent, I say Chunk. Chunk. See, I, I it's uh, yeah, that sounds kind of nice as well. Maybe I'll mix it up. Maybe it'll be you know. Six of one, half dozen of another. It's gonna be. It's gonna be that kind of situation. <laughs> so, so Jeff, do you want to tell us a bit about how you got into acting, and and you must tell us a bit about what it was like playing Chunk from the Goonies. Chunk, I love it. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, uh, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. Uh, I was kind of a chubby kid, and I was kind of a clown. Uh, and you know, it's kind of, when you grow up in LA, it's kind of an option, you know, it's either, you know, play uh, baseball or go out for, you know, audition for hot dog commercials. And I opted for hot dog commercials, uh, cause I was a fat kid, uh, and funny. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of started going off on auditions and, and did a bunch of like, you know, eighties, uh, television shows, some good, some bad, uh, and then wound up doing Goonies. Excellent. And that became, that's become a real cult movie, hasn't it? Yeah, it's funny. You know, um, it's part of the reason I think that I really love art and entertainment generally and why I still kind of, you know, work in the business as a, as a entertainment lawyer. The, I think it's kind of a beautiful idea that art, whether it's a book or whether it's a radio broadcast or whether it's a joke or a song or a poem, um, it has legs, you know, and 30 years later when we, when we made the film, people still like it. You know, people are still enjoying it. And I think ultimately, you know, culture is what, you know, civilizations gift to future generations. And, you know, the idea that you can write a book and a hundred years later, 200 years later, it still impacts people, uh, is amazing. So that's part of the thing that I really love about, you know, culture generally. That must have been a, yeah, a great privilege to work with someone like uh, like Spielberg as well. He's all right. You know, I think <laughs> that he has potential. And I think he's a talented kid. And I hope, you know, I hope uh, he gets his act together and uh, can can do some stuff. Because there's a lot of talent there if he doesn't get it, get in his own way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and do, you, do you miss that world? Oh, sure. I mean, acting is, uh, I mean, I love being an entertainment lawyer. I love being an entrepreneur. Uh, and the good news now, uh, as an entertainment lawyer is I no longer have to audition, but I still get to go to the parties. So, Hey, you know, there's upside, um, it's steady work, but I mean, but I loved being an actor, you know, uh, it's, uh, you get to play, you, you know, make believe, uh, you get to travel. Everyone has to be nice to you. Even if you suck, everyone still has to be nice to you. Uh, and they feed you. There's food all over the place. Uh, and especially as a fat kid, that was very exciting. So, uh, and as a reformed fat kid, it's still exciting. So yeah, I miss it. It's a great gig. So you, so you, you slimmed off, didn't you? Yeah. You know, it's, um, uh, I think, you know, when you're called chunk uh, or chunk for our uh, viewers in the or listeners in the States, uh, uh, you know, when you're when you're called chunk, uh, you know, from the time you're 10 years old, it kind of gives you a complex, you know. So. So, uh, yeah, I, I started playing sports, uh, you know, in high school and 
and uh, work out regularly and went from chunk to hunk. So yes, I've made the transformation with the help of puberty, which was bad for work as an entertainment lawyer, but kind of better for my health uh, generally, I think, you know. It must be pretty, pretty cool for people to have you in the room as their entertainment lawyer as well. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, it's like in entertainment, uh, when, when your entertainment lawyer is chunk, then you've arrived. Then it's the ultimate status symbol. Kind of like having like a little dog that you carry on airplane rides, you know. I'm kind of like that, but for entertainment law, which is great. So I kind of, kind of get you. You refer to yourself in your your bio as a transactional attorney. Sure. Uh, uh, but uh, the, the entertainment lawyer sounds even better. Yeah, they're both nice. It's yeah. I, I, the, it's funny. I joke uh, that I'm not a real lawyer. Uh, I'm an entertainment lawyer. Um, so I don't have to go to court. I don't have to sue people or, you know, knock on wood. I I don't have to get sued that frequently. Um, I make deals. I'm a deal maker. So ultimately that's, that's what I do. And what sort of, what sort of deals are you brokering? Is it for actors? Is it for technology? What that usually is? What a, what does it entail? Sure. Um, and it's funny in my book, the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments. I kind of go over the general principles of you know deal making and time management and crisis management. So for me, the funny thing is whether I'm representing a director or an actor or you know a technology company and doing a license agreement or a production company and doing a, a you know finance or distribution deal for a film. Um, even though the deals are very different. Uh, the kind of the underlying principles of you know human nature that govern the transaction still exists. So I guess I would say it's kind of uh, you know broad. At my law firm, uh, it's kind of broad uh, entertainment transaction. So anything involving media and technology that touches people artistically. Excellent. Uh, well, many years ago, I used to buy the uh, the sort of buy media and marketing for com- for companies like Mars. I used to do licensing deals. Uh, oh, cool! I think the most exciting one I did was with Manchester United. Um, oh, that's a big one. So that was kind of, that was a kind of kind of fun. But what I haven't done is uh, is done deals in Hollywood, and I imagine it's uh, possibly a little bit more cutthroat over there. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, people have asked me that, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I think that Hollywood uh, is overtly cutthroat, and and we're kind of very honest that we're all a bunch of criminals. <laughs> you know, what I mean? we're kind of we're kind of very straightforward that we're a bunch of crooks. Um, but you know, I think business generally across the globe is very brutal. And you know, if you've been working twenty years at a company and you get fired because they find someone half your age that can do the job, you know, at sixty percent of your rate and you know, uh, you know, fifty percent, you know, or seventy percent proficiency, that's brutal. So I do agree that Hollywood is, you know, particularly cutthroat. But I kind of think business generally is. I just think that's kind of part of the game, you know. Yeah. Well, and what led you to to write the book, The Dealmakers Ten uh, Commandments? What was the, your influence? Sure. Um. Uh. Well, the the publisher is uh, the American Bar Association. Uh. They have a new commercial imprint called Anchorwick. So the American Bar Association had done a profile of me and my my law firm uh, last year. And uh, the publishers came to me and was like, "Hey, you know, we really want to do a book on entertainment law. You know, what do you have?" And I'm a big fan of business books generally, so I kind of pitched them on a broader idea. I'm like, well, you know, what if we did the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments? Uh, the big idea being that success is life on your own terms, uh, and how do you discover what those terms are, and how do you get it? 
So uh, I pitched them on it and uh, they liked it. So I've been writing it, I guess, over the past year. And uh, it's been fairly brutal because it's my first book. I've written a number of articles, but it was my first book. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it seems to getting a it seems to be getting a nice response, which is great. Thanks. I've already had a, a note on my Facebook from somebody who's gone and bought the book and uh, is excited about it. Nice, great. Uh, and I wonder, you know, I've been reading the through the book and scanning it through. You know, one of the, the big influences for you was uh, was Machiavelli. Do you want to tell us, for anybody who doesn't know Machiavelli and The Prince, what, what that's about sure. and why it influenced you? Sure. Um, the, it's funny. For me, uh, in, kind of in the beginning of the book, briefly over a few pages, I have a section called Chunk meets Machiavelli or Chunk, Chunk yeah. meets Machiavelli for our <laughs> friends across the pond. Uh, and I talk about you know, being a childhood actor and you know, the whole exercise of being a performer generally is you need to be loved. You need to be loved by the audience. And when I hit puberty and I looked different and I couldn't get work, I was no longer loved and I didn't understand it. You know, there's that idea that the beauty of first love is our ignorance that it will ever end. And acting was my first love. It's what I wanted to do. So when I couldn't get work, I didn't understand it. Uh, and I was very angry. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of tried to find other things, uh, you know, to get knowledge. And I ran across a book called The Prince, uh, which is written by uh, a nice Italian gentleman, Niccolo Machiavelli, in uh, the early 16th century, the early uh, Italian Renaissance. And he wrote the book as basically a job application because he was also out of work, so I could identify. And he wanted to be an advisor to one of the Medicis uh, in Italy. And he basically wrote this book, and it's great because it's 100 pages. It's called The Prince. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It's the best business book of all time, even better than The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, although we're a close second. Uh, and he basically said, hey, you know, let me be your advisor, and here's some of the ideas I will you know, teach you. And he has a section, which is Dealmaker's Commandment 1 in my book, uh, which is it is better to be feared than loved. And as a childhood actor who needed to be loved, and then when the love was gone, being lost, like this, I, I, I found to be a game changer. And what Machiavelli said is that it's better to be feared than loved because people fear you because they have to, and they love you because they want to. And if you're going to be a prince, if you're going to build something, uh, if you're going to be a capitalist, uh, you need to be able to be in control, and fear is an effective and consistent mechanism. Uh, so for me, reading that was mind-blowing and absolutely 180 degrees opposite of what I had been taught. And in my experience, uh, it's been quite effective. <laughs> you know, And if you look at institutions generally, uh, they all have mechanisms of fear. They all have you know, mechanisms of punishment to enforce their will. And as a business person, uh, I think we need to incorporate that into how we make our deals. It's actually kind of like standard reading for a politician, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, Machiavelli kind of gets a bad rap. Uh, you know, Machiavellian is considered a pejorative. But basically what he's saying is that, look, people are self-interested and they're short-sighted and they'll do what's, you know, what they think is in their perceived best interest. And you have to operate from that perspective. And I think that, you know, things are, it's Dealmaker's Commandment 3, things are precisely as they seem. And uh, that is kind of how things play out whether we like it or not mm. so because he just it is as you say just take 
you know, quite a hard line on things, doesn't he? It's uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. It, 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 it changed your values a bit, did you? Just to operate to some of the yeah. principles. Yeah, that's right. You know, but it's interesting. Um, you know, it's funny. Dealmaker's Commandment Three is things are precisely as they seem, and you know, between. Uh, you know, kind of me being a kid actor and the various jobs that I had prior to starting my law firm, uh, you know, like I worked at a studio. Uh, uh, I worked at Universal Studios um, when I was still in law school at UCLA. And, you know, I was there when they downsized the division. And it didn't matter to me. I mean, it mattered to me, but I was a young kid and it didn't mean that much. But I saw these really great, talented, hardworking, loyal executives uh, who had been working for the company for decades fired because economically the, the company thought that was their best call. Um, and when I saw that, it just kind of reinforced the idea that, wow, you know, institutions behave in their best interest. Individuals behave in their perceived best interest. So you have to operate from that perspective, merely from a position of self-defense. It's quite an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because, you know, the, I talk about employee engagement and uh, being engaging as a, an individual. I was talking about that sort of three four days of that over the last week and uh and, and you're absolutely right you know you, you want to engage pe uh, people but if you if you're fairly frequently making them redundant <laughs> um, yeah, right. the hopes and fears are shattered and and you know i've seen i've been made redundant with three times in my career which actually financially was very helpful um nice well but, then you then you made a good deal i gotta listen to you chris that sounds good man <laughs> when you have that good when you have that golden parachute that's fantastic that's how you do it <laughs> the first time i took away 350 pounds that was it nice <laughs> the first so, said, so I, I don't know the exchange rate but that's like four million dollars that's that's awesome that's about five hundred dollars <laughs> wow okay. well that's that's not not quite as good chris but uh it's something one of three thousand i was that one uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what I saw there was was people, you know, who had been. Some people have been in that organisation. It was a. It was in the motor industry, and some of the people have been in that organisation for many years. And when they lost their jobs, their, their, the rug was completely pulled away from them, from under their feet. You saw them crumble. You know. You know. I did as well, and you know, it it, it is brutal. You know, it is brutal, um, and it, I think it really does kind of change your perspective. Yes, yeah, it does, and you've got to got to be maybe a little bit more self interested and uh, uh, and, and self propelled. Yep, on the front foot. Um, well, we're going to go to commercial um, break now, but after after the commercial break, um, we'll start to move into some of the the principles of the book. So we shall Great. be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Sounds good. Brilliant. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need 
exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time. Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and I'm with Jeff B. Cohen, and we're talking about the Dealmakers' uh, Ten Commandments. And, uh, uh, Jeff, um, what's looking at the principles? I mean, you mentioned there about it's better to be feared than loved. Uh, and I know the next uh, principle in your book is, is power leads and reason follows. Do you want to explain what you mean? Sure. Um, and again, the, you know, kind of the big, you know, kind of the, the overarching theme of the book, again, is, you know, success is life on your own terms. How do you figure out what those terms are? And then how do you get them? So kind of I break that down into, you know, how do you make great deals? How do you manage your time? And how do you handle crisis without losing your soul? So Dealmaker's Commandment 2, which is power leads, reason follows, is under the dealmaking uh, side of it. Um Basically, from my experience in any transaction, in, in any deal, uh, the most powerful party is able to take the deal, bend it to their will, uh, and then after the powerful party has gotten what they want, they create what I call a narrative of uh, reason um, to basically say, oh, and, and here's why it happened. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get this because I'm the most powerful party. I got this because it's uh, really good for everybody and it makes everybody happy. Um, so the big idea being that in any deal, you know, power is the kind of freight train barreling down the tracks and reason is the little caboose at the end. So that's for me, when you're looking at a deal, when you're looking at kind of an entrepreneurial venture, you have to look at the source of power because ultimately that's going to be uh, the way the deal shakes out. So, so you're saying you, you, the source of power is that one party is likely to be more powerful than the other and directing well, that, what do you mean by it that? It depends on the transaction. Um, but basically, usually the bigger side gets what they want and the, the side that didn't get what they want uh, doesn't like it. So they have to rationalize away uh, the fact that they just got steamrolled yes. uh, and that's, that's you know – and that's done by a narrative that is created by the more powerful party. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just laughing. I'm just remembering um, a, a deal that I did many years ago when I was working in a, uh, working in um, a biscuit company, and 
somebody did say to one of my one of my team, they said, Chris, he's a, he's a, he's a really uh, lovely guy. He's, he's so nice to get on with. And it's only when I've got in my car and I'm heading back that I realize he stabbed me in the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the nice guy. It's always the quiet guy. Uh, you know, it's funny for, for me, the, it's funny. And I talk about this in, in commandment too. Um, you know, power leads, reason follows, uh, who has the power, um, you know, and it's basically the party that is able to punish. And I talk about a mechanism, which I call the power punishment paradigm, which is basically the party that has the ability to punish the other side for behavior that's, you know, against, uh, you know, the, the more powerful party's interests is the one uh, who will be able to determine how the deal looks. So it's all about discovering, you know, in a transaction, in a venture, who has the power to punish and then harnessing that and basically utilizing that to get what you want. Yes. And I guess if you if you are not if you're not the party who has the power to punish, then you've got to be extremely smart, haven't you? <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting The you know, and part of the, you know, and again, my tactics that I advocate are fairly brutal, um, but effective. Uh, but, you know, I know some people aren't comfortable with them, but, you know, kind of my take on it is, look, merely from a position of self-defense, you should know that this is what the opposing side will likely do. Yes. Uh, you know, they'll likely be fine with it. And you know what's interesting? Um, the, you know, and I talk about this in the book when I kind of go through, you know, the, the, the chapter, the, the mini chapter is called punishments myriad forms and i talk about the different mechanisms you have to punish and one of the most empowering and this is going to sound really weird uh but it's an ancient and empowering mechanism of punishment is excommunication mm -hmm. uh if you're dealing with an opposing side or you're dealing with a venture dealing with a party that is you know you know that is uh, you know very adverse to you um you have the power to excommunicate you have the power to say, you know what, I don't want to deal with them. You know, they're dead. Uh, excommunication is, is almost a way to kind of kill your opponent because you're like, you know what, I'm not dealing with them. They're done. I'm out. And uh, you don't need a lot of money to do it. You don't need to have a high-priced lawyer. You don't need, uh, you know, a, a big office. Uh, merely to say, you know what, this opposing party, this is ultimately a toxic relationship. It's a toxic uh, business venture, and I'm out. And I found that that's a very empowering uh, form of punishment that everyone has access to and ultimately can save you a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of headache and frees up your resources to more uh, to be focused on more profitable ventures. Mm. <clears throat> and I suppose if you also, you also utilize that uh, tactic, I mean, you could utilize that as a, as a, as a strategy, couldn't you? If you, you still maybe do want to do a deal with them, but you choose to walk away to see if yeah. it will come back. Yeah, that's right. It's funny. Actually, later in the book, I talk about kind of the deal, the rhythm of deal making, and the dance of deal making, the steps. Uh, you know, and uh, th that I believe that's uh, Commandment Seven, which is you know, take yes for yes, maybe for yes, and no for maybe. Uh, and if you walk away and somebody comes back, they're dead. I mean, <laughs> they're in trouble. You know, so you never know. Sometimes you walk away, the opposing side comes back. And you realize you had much more power than you thought. Yes, yes. The whole the whole basis can suddenly shift, can't it? Absolutely. So you also say that you know everyone is on the same side, their own. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm good. Ah, oh, I should write a book. I like that. That's win win. Nice. I gotta write a book. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, uh, that Steelmaker's Commandment three. Everyone is on the same side, their own, uh, and you know. Commandment three is about battlefield analysis. And when you're looking at, you know, kind of the, the venture, uh, you know, and you're negotiating it uh, or you're analyzing, well, should I get in this or should I not? I advocate that the entrepreneur should create, uh, you know, basically what I call a motivation mo mosaic, a motivation mosaic, which is basically a three-dimensional uh, real-time view of the battlefield. And you have to look at each party individually, and then you have to look at each side as a whole and say, what do they want? You know, like, like what do they, what, what is in their perceived best interest? It may not actually be in their best interest, but what do they think is in their best interest? Uh, and, uh, and that's, you know, a pretty good indication usually of how uh, the opposing side and your side, the components of your side uh, will behave. So, so you, do you, you kind of map this out, do you sometimes on a, is it a piece of paper or a chart or something before you're going into a negotiation? You know, it, it's it's complex, but, you know, there's that great quote from Einstein, you know, things should be explained, uh, you know, uh, as as simple as they are, but no simpler. Uh, you know, it, it's like it's it, it's it's uh, it's complex. Um, but the thing is, after you do a number of deals, a number of transactions, it starts to become secondhand because there are various kind of archetypes that continue to, you know, reoccur uh, and, uh, you know, mistakes and traps that opposing side or, or potentially your side could fall into that you perceive, you know, whether it's the cocky executive who doesn't know that he's going to be fired or she's going to be fired in a couple months, you know, uh, or it's the person on your side who the moment anything goes wrong will immediately throw you, uh, you know, under the bus. Uh, because they're afraid of their own position. Mm -hmm. But there are various kind of archetypes and, uh, you know, types of behavior that recur. So it is challenging, but once you get in the right mindset and once you're looking for it, uh, you'll see reoccurring patterns. Yeah, yeah. It makes lots and lots of sense. Um, you also um, say in your book <clears throat> that things are precisely as they seem. Um, what do you mean by that? It's, I think that's very important and, and shockingly uh, difficult. Maybe the most uh, of the Ten Commandments, that might actually be the hardest one to really uh, incorporate. Um, Dealmaker's Commandment 4 is things are precisely as they seem. Uh, you know, Bacon said, uh, you know, Sir Francis Bacon said knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. But if you take that knowledge and you twist it to your preconceived notions or your desires, you lose your power. So the big idea is that there's a very beautiful and naive human trait of looking at a piece of information, not liking it, and then twisting it around to make it, you know, to make, oh, it's actually good. But the thing is, you know, it, you know, when you walk in and you see your best friend in bed with your wife and he says, you know, this isn't what it seems like. <laughs> It's actually exactly what it seems like, you yeah. know? So yeah. to me, that's kind of the big idea. And it's funny, uh, you know, what I talk about in the chapter is you have to use Occam's razor, uh, which is this idea that, you know, uh, the simplest explanation is the best explanation. 
And, you know, when you're analyzing a transaction, when you're analyzing a venture, you need to use Occam's razor to shave away envy, to shave away desire, to shave away, uh, you know, morality. You have to rise above your principles. Uh, and, you know, ultimately what you're left with is truth. And you have to see things how they are precisely in order to make the right decision or to, uh, to advise your client or, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, partner uh, how to how to proceed. That's very interesting. I had one of my a guest a few weeks ago <clears throat> who I've had on the show a couple of times, a guy called Michael Carroll. Um, Michael's written books on mindfulness and he's an ex uh, Disney vice president, actually, who studied Buddhism and, and he, uh, he wow. works with some really interesting uh, organizations and they see this uh, kind of mindful meditation as being a way to strip away the, these, you know, these thoughts of envy in your own perceptions um, so that when situations happen, uh, you, you, you're looking at it from the perspective of what's real, not what you're overlaying on the top. So you know, kind of... I like that, that, that. That's really, I, I think, especially when you work for Disney, you should be able to meditate because, man, that's a tough gig. It's funny. Our, our, our joke... Uh, you know Disney, of course. My lord, they're so successful, uh, and and uh, you know the meditation sounds great. It's funny. Our joke in town, uh, in Hollywood, with Disney is that if you work at Disney, you know if you don't if you don't show up Saturday uh, for work, don't even think of showing up on Sunday. Uh, they they work those guys really hard. <laughs> so I imagine meditation would be helpful in that environment. <laughs> I like some talk. New Star Wars. Are you excited? I'm excited. Star Wars. Yeah, the new Star yeah. Wars. Disney's the Star Wars. Yeah, brilliant. I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, really, really, really looking forward to that. It's funny, actually, in the book, I quote a lot of different philosophers, and I, I definitely I quote Yoda a couple times because uh, he's an important philosopher to me as well. I'm a short guy. He's short. I kick a lot of butt. He kicks a lot of butt. Uh, I'm bald. He's bald. So Yoda has been uh, very important to me uh, over the years. <laughs> so you might you might be might morph into him, and then when you, <laughs> I'm kind of getting there, man. I'm getting shorter and balder. So uh, and my ears are kind of getting a little bigger. So I'm not getting green yet, but I'm going to give it a couple years. I'm going to give it a couple years. You know. <laughs> yeah, don't go to too many of those Hollywood parties. Oh man, you never know. You never know. You never know where TMZ is going to catch you. Maybe. It'd be good to have his wisdom, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, interesting when you were talking about those sort of power, where the power lies. I was, well, my mind straight went straight to to George Lucas, and sure, you know, and so I think you know that that was a a seat of power, wasn't it? And still probably well, still is. You know what's interesting about Lucas? Um, and and again, it, it's it, it to me it goes back to. You know, it goes back to Dealmaker's Commandment 1. It's better to be feared than loved because fear is a mechanism you control. With Lucas, so brilliant that when he did Star Wars in 77, um, he was able to negotiate a deal where he owned the underlying rights. You know, so he was the owner. And ultimately, I had thought a long time, you know, what is a mogul? What is an entertainment mogul? versus a, a talented person, a successful person in entertainment. And a mogul is someone who owns things. Mm. You know, Louis B. Mayer owned MGM. You know, he was a mogul. Uh, you know, George Lucas owned Star Wars, which he was able to monetize, you know, for, you know to the tune of billions of, of U.S. dollars. Uh, so, you know, having ownership is a, is a very powerful uh, mechanism of control and ultimately fear. Yeah. Yeah, makes makes a huge amount of sense, and 
Although Jar Jar Binks stuck a stunk, so nobody liked Jar Jar, so he made a mistake there, but he still made billions. So what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You know? Is that true? That that character wasn't uh, wasn't popular. Oh, Jar Jar? Oh man! Well, at least in the states, everybody hated Jar Jar. Remember, like when they made the prequels, everybody went nuts. It's like yeah. Jar Jar Binks. Ah, you're no, you're no Yoda, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, he seemed a bit light, didn't he? Yeah, it kind of didn't work. Yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah it kind of didn't work. Anyways, I'm, yeah. but I'm off topic. I'm there off you topic. go. I, I am really hyped up for the new Star Wars, so I'm kind of off topic, I suppose. That's that great. So where does that where does that lead us? Let's let's talk about. We've got three minutes till break. Or, um, let's talk about no pig wrestling. No pig wrestling. How would you want to wrestle a pig? Exactly. Exactly. It's when Dealmaker's Commandment Five is no pig wrestling. Uh, the idea being never wrestle a pig because you get dirty and the pig enjoys it. You know, uh, opponent selection is extremely important and combat is honor. When you engage in combat with someone, you are bestowing honor upon them. Uh, you know, a CEO does not negotiate against an intern. A knight does not fight a squire. Uh, a major league team doesn't play a minor league team, you know? Uh, so it's the whole idea of who are you fighting with and, uh, you know, choosing the right opponent, choosing the right battle. And if you can't choose them, what tools do you have to shape them to make them the right opponent and to make it the right battle? Mm. So, so, when you, so when you say shape them, um, what, what tools you might have to shape them? And what sure. Do you Sure. Um, you know, uh, Genghis Khan said, uh, only a fool fights a battle he cannot win. Uh, so, you know, sometimes combat is thrust upon us. And what mechanisms do you have to kind of alter the conditions for victory? And my mechanism for doing that is something I call GAT analysis. Uh, and GAT, at least in the States, is a really cool rap slang word for gun. Uh, and it's a gun ammo target analysis uh, which is basically gun is your leverage, ammo is the will to fight, and target is what you want to get. So I kind of dive into those three mechanisms and how you can alter the gun, ammo, and target to uh, create uh, you know conditions for victory if the initial you know if you're if you're fighting the wrong opponent and you're in the wrong battle. Mm. I like that. I like that. And that's really uh, yeah. That's really. Helpful, I think, for people to to think through. You know, I live um, I live uh, very near to where Richard the Third was. Uh, Ooh, cool! About that? Um, yeah, wow, that's, uh, that really. Yeah, so we we had all the celebrations coming through our our town when he got celebrations. We had a like a funeral service for him, even though nobody had ever seen him for five hundred years. <laughs> wow, that's cool. You never get cool stuff like that in the states. That's yeah, really cool. Apparently, I heard that this week he was his skeleton had no feet, and that was apparently because he was defeated in Market Bosworth near where I live. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man, they they they, they really. The, the ancient Brits, pretty serious business. You lose your – you lose – you know, it's funny. When we actually think about how rough business is uh, these days, think about that. Richard III, no feet, you know? <laughs> well, that's a bad deal when you lose your feet at the, end of the, at the end of the transaction, right? Yeah, you lost a bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Anyway, we're going to go to commercial break again. Uh, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk more after we'll talk more and go through more of the principles after the break. But um, uh, loving talking with Jeff at the moment, and I hope you're enjoying the show. So we'll be back again in just two minutes.
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. My guest this week was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Clinton, Mr. Henry Cisneros, who will be here to talk about 13 trends which make investing in real estate in urban centers a sure bet. Don't miss Henry Cisneros this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jeff B. Cohen. And if you want some more information on uh, on the shows and the and the uh, the shows that are coming up, and we, we write a uh, a neat little um, communication each month, and you can um, subscribe to that at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Um, but great talking with with Jeff. And uh, Jeff, uh, we were chatting through um, your Ten Commandments, or, or some of them anyway. Got to buy the book to, to hear them all. Right, the book. And I'd recommend it. It's great. I'm thoroughly enjoying um, uh, scanning through it and can't actually wait to uh, find the time to read it thoroughly. Um, Thank you. But, but what, is, um, what is do it, delete it, delegate it? Sure. Um, that is the, that's the commandment uh, I have about time management. Uh, you know, do it, delete it, delegate it. The big idea being that, you know, if you don't create your own system, you will be slave to someone else's system. And ultimately, as capitalists, time is both our most precious and most perishable resource. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's about how do you manage your time? How do you allocate your time? Uh, and I kind of go through the mechanisms for doing that because if you can't effectively manage your time, uh, you're lost. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, so, so when you uh, so you do it, when you say delete it, is that do you delete something after if you've not actioned it in a certain period of time? Or how, oh. yeah, I mean, it's funny the 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 kind of the the big picture. 
um, is there's this amazing book, which I reference in my book, which is by written by a guy named Alan Lakin uh, back in the 50s. Um, and it's called uh, How to Take Control of Your Time and Life Now. And I found out about the book when I was reading Bill Clinton's autobiography. And he talked about you know, the fact of, you know, he, he loved reading, you know, historical books and kind of historical narratives, uh, but he ran across this book, you know, How to Take Control of Your Time and Life Now uh, by Alan Lakin and how it really allowed him to accomplish so much. So when I was like, wow, well, Bill Clinton used it, it's got to be good. Yeah. So I read it and it was mind-blowing. Um, it's it's basically this process, which I, which I discuss in the book of kind of going through, you know, look, if I, you know, what are my lifetime goals? What is really important to me? Uh, and then you kind of, you know, shave that down to say, okay, if I was struck by lightning in six months, how would I want to spend the next six months of my life? What really matters to me? And you basically break kind of down your desires to your A goals, your B goals, and your C goals. And then you shave away the C goals, throw away the B goals, and you just focus on the A goals. And then there's your A1 goal, your A2 goal, and your A3 goal. And to this day, I have my A1 goal, my A2 goal, my A3 goal, which you know you you periodically update. And you have to analyze your time and say, you know, what is the best use of my time now to propel me towards those goals. And I think certainly, I think, especially given how much, you know, distraction is thrown at us as business people and as people through social media, through email, through the phone, through everyone pulling you this way and that way, uh, you know, being able to focus your energy and your time uh, on your A goals is, is fundamental. You know, there's a quote that I use in the book by Herbert Baird Swope, which is, I don't know the secret for success, but I know the secret for failure, which is trying to make everyone else happy. Yeah. Uh, and it's very important to know what do you want, what matters to you. And it's funny, throughout the book, in each of the 10 chapters and each of the 10 commandments, I have uh, what I call a question for self-mastery where I want the reader to ask themselves various questions to really ascertain what do you care about? What matters to you? Uh, because without that knowledge, you're lost. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you, you can't achieve your, you can't achieve your goals if they're not actually your, your goals. Yes. I, I, I shall get that book. I think it's, um, <clears throat> I, I really, really, really do get that principle. If I was talking about something quite similar yesterday, but I love the way it spits into A1, A2 and three goals and, and that challenge about uh, making sure you're not trying to make everyone else happy. Um, because some people be do become slaves, you say, to other people's goals and dreams and don't achieve their own. It's very human. You know, it's a very human and, and lovely and ultimately dispiriting and defeating quality. You know, it's that idea of, um, you know, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. You know, it's you're constantly trying to please everyone else. But, you know, too much sacrifice can turn a heart to stone. Mm. Mm. Very, very true. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> very true. My mind says, I'm thinking of a few, uh, few situations and people where that's happened and it's, uh, sure. and, and what a shame. I, I always remember, uh, just something that spurred me on many years ago, but I, I felt quite sad by it. it was a relative. I'd just come back from Australia. I was 21 years old and I'd worked in Australia for a few months uh, during a, a, a bit of a, a little bit of a, 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 a break in, uh, in my studies. And, 
I was sat down with her elderly relative when I got back, and he said, "You know, in your short life, you've achieved far more than I ever achieved in mine." Wow. In mine, and I just thought, how sad. I thought, wow. I just never, you know, how sad to look back on your life. He was about eighty, thinking, you know, he's not achieved anything. Well, he felt he hadn't. Yeah, I mean, and you have to, you know, you really have to kind of have that in mind. I think as you pursue your goals, you know. So, how do you best be a deal maker and not a deal breaker? Yeah, it's funny. That's a commandment eight, uh, which is be a deal maker, not a deal breaker. Um, and I will use a quote uh, by Margaret Thatcher, which is, you know, being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to say that you are, then you're not, <laughs> you know, and and, uh, you know, the idea of commandment eight is, look, you know, the point of all of this knowledge is not to show everyone how smart you are, is to not be the person who yells the loudest, is to not, you know, uh, you know, be the one bragging about, uh, you know, this or that. Uh, it's to close deals. And, you know, ultimately, the point of, of the use of this power is not to destroy your opponent, but to, you know, actually make money, to actually make a transaction. And it's funny, uh, the reason why I really enjoy I think being a transactional lawyer is ultimately at the end of the day, my clients have to make money or I don't make money. You know, uh, my clients have to get paid uh, or, or, you know, I'm not going to get paid. So, uh, you know, it's the big idea of like, you know, understand the end game and understand your role is that we are instruments of capitalism and we have to ultimately create value. Yes. With, with you, with your time. For sure. Yeah. yeah, that's right. For sure. Yeah. Um, it, it's something we've got to, you've got to focus on. And uh, that creation of value is, is a kind of a measure of um, contribution you're making, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, again, I think the big idea is that, you know, understand that you are, you know, you're playing a role kind of goes back to being an actor. Like you have to look at the deal and say, what is my role in this specific transaction and, uh, and, and do it. And it's, it's interesting. Another aspect of that commandment, uh, you know, I talk about, you know, you know, you know, what is a deal maker and a deal maker is a professional professionals get paid. And, and I think this is really important. Professionals play hurt. You have to be able to play hurt. You know, anyone can play healthy, but you have to be able to come through to make the right decisions, to play at the highest level, even when you're not feeling it, even when you're beat up, even when you're exhausted. And I think being a professional is basically, a, you know, in part, the ability to play hurt and to play at the highest level. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was very true. So I've got to ask you this question. Um, we've only sure. got a few minutes left, but. How do you fight monsters without becoming one? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Dealmaker's Commandment 10 uh, is heed Nietzsche's warning. Uh, and, and, and I consider Nietzsche's warning to be, you know, Friedrich Nietzsche's quote, uh, beware when fighting monsters, you don't become one. And there's a real danger to it. You know, there's a real danger. Uh, you know, when you are, you know, fighting monstrous opponents, you have to do monstrous things to, to win. Uh, and in, 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 in throughout the book, I kind of advocate these, you know, fairly hard-nosed uh, tactics uh, on how to get your piece of the pie. But the question is, how do you 
you know, engage in that combat without going down that rabbit hole, you know, perpetually? How do you walk with the devil uh, and then and then come back? Uh, and there's actually a um, uh, a Bulgarian quote, which is uh, a proverb, which is, you are allowed to walk with the devil until you get to the end of the bridge. Uh, so basically, you have to understand during the transaction, during the deal, it's going to be hard. It's going to be brutal. But after you've crossed the bridge, you have to come back. The, the, the type of behavior and the type of tactics that were acceptable are no longer acceptable. And for me, the way to come back is about the idea of forbearance, which is, you know, you know from a legal standpoint is forbearance is when you have an advantage, but you don't use it. You don't use the advantage. Uh, and I talk about kind of times where even though you have an advantage, it is appropriate not to use it, not because we're nice, but because we're smart. Because if you always have an angle and you always impulsively take it, you're no longer, you know, a, a, a rational human being. You're an animal. Um, so I kind of talk about the way to internalize the virtue of forbearance to prevent, you know, to be able to fight monsters without becoming one. Great. Well, it's been been. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think it's uh, you know something that really really. Uh, to reflect on and uh, think about this interview and, and I would really recommend to people that they get the book and uh, and and study it because I think there's some real wisdom in in what you have to say and and some uh, you know interesting points of difference over maybe some of the things people would have read before and I just wonder Jeff you could maybe sort of summarize and, and just share you know do you have any final messages that you'd you'd like to leave us with today Sure well first of all thanks Chris it was a real pleasure to be interviewed by you um yeah you know uh, I do feel that success is life on your own terms. And I think my book is a really nice mechanism to help the reader discover what those terms are and then get it. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it's been getting Dealmaker's Ten Commandments has been getting a really nice response. And uh, I encourage your, your listeners to go get it. You can get it on Kindle, you can get it on Amazon or the audiobook. If you loved my gorgeous voice, I can actually read you the book uh, <laughs> via the via the the, the audiobook. So if you if you're, if you're that lazy, I I love books on tape. So I'm I'm not knocking books on tape, but I will actually read you the book. So there's no excuse not to immediately uh, get this book. But I'm biased in thinking it's genius. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, if you wanna if you wanna go to sleep and uh, as you're going to sleep, listen to Jeff's. Um, uh, well, there you go. Voice, then that's that's the solution for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible advertisement. My book will put you to sleep. I don't know, Chris. I don't know. Agree to, agree to disagree on the I pitch. Mean, I don't know. I didn't mean that. I just meant you know. <laughs> I thought this was nice, going great. I don't know. <laughs> well, Chunk, it's been. Chunk. A I love it. From now on, I'm Chunk in the states to my friends. I am Chunk. <laughs> it's been a, a wonderful pleasure I've loved interviewing you today it's been great fun and uh, with some tremendously interesting messages so uh, yeah thanks again Jeff thanks so much for having me you're very welcome if you've got any questions or feedback on the show you can send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk uh, for more information on uh, Jeff B. Cohen uh, Chunk and the Dealmakers 10 Commandments go to www.dealmakerscommandments.com is that correct Jeff? Yeah, that's right. And I'm also I'm on uh, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn as Jeff, J-E-F-F, B is in boy, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. That's, that's great. So uh, so lovely. So uh, do, do connect with uh, Jeff and, and probably when you're connecting with him, let him know where you uh, where you uh, you've heard, you heard him 
Um, so I wish you all a wonderful week. Um, next week, um, a little bit unusual next week, um, it's my 175th show, and people have been saying to me, Chris, why don't you share some some your knowledge around uh, engagement? So I'm actually going to do a, a show next week, and I'm going to share my thoughts on um, engagement starts with you and how to be a really engaging leader or manager because it's so very, very important today. And I'll share lots of tips and ideas from some of the, the guests that I've had on my show in the past that have really inspired me for some of the you know really engaging people like Jeff. So wish you a wonderful week. We'll speak to you again next week. And uh, once again, Jeff, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.